Well, if you would turn with me to Mark chapter 14, it's in your bulletin or in your Bible. As Mark now turns our attention to look carefully at the sacrifice of Jesus in the remaining chapters of his book, he first stops right here at the beginning of chapter 14 and takes time to show us another picture like the one he painted of the poor widow at the end of chapter 12. It's, it's a, another startling image of the stark contrast between the, the murderous hearts of the so-called religious men and the wide open heart of a worshiping woman. He's going to show us another picture like that. And it's interesting that we learn from John's version of this story uh, that Mary's anointing of Jesus actually happened six days before the Passover, but we're going to see that Mark says we're two days before the Passover. And I want you to understand, Mark's not confused here. There's at least two reasons why he is intentionally flashing back to this event at Simon the leper's house, right before he begins to finish and tell us the story of the sacrifice of Jesus. So I'm curious, why did the Holy Spirit have Mark do this? Why did he have this flashback right here? Let's consider this together as we Read Mark 14, verses 1 through 11. Hear the word of the Lord. It was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him. For they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly. And she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray.
Father, we ask that your spirit would come and help us through your word to see and adore Jesus, that you would stir in our hearts that same lavish love and devotion that Mary had for him that night, that that would become the fragrance of our lives because we have been together under your word this morning. Only you can do that. We are willing to listen and to hear your voice through your word. We ask that you would do this in Jesus' name. Amen. I am broken at your feet Like an alabaster jar Every piece of who I am Laid before your majesty, I will bow my life at your feet, at your feet. My lips, so lost for words, will kiss your feet, kiss your feet. Was it as awkward for you to listen to me sing that as it was for me to sing it? Let's make it more awkward. Imagine me, a grown man, doing what I just sang. Bowing at the feet of another man. A man, the man, Jesus. Becoming a broken, sobbing mess before him. And for once in my life, having no words, and then actually kissing the feet of Jesus as an act of devotion and love for him. If that makes you feel even a little bit awkward, and it does me, then perhaps that's just a taste of the awkwardness the disciples felt that night at Simon the leper's house. That scene was so etched in Peter's mind that he had Mark put it here. Uh, in between the chief priests and scribes' plans to murder Jesus in verses 1 and 2 and Judas's plan to betray Jesus in verses nine, uh, 10 and 11. Before we get to Mary and this amazing thing that she did, I think Mark wants us to compare and contrast four responses to who Jesus is that are in these verses. The first response is, is this. Some, some people just choose to dismiss Jesus outright, like the chief priests and the scribes. They... They're disinterested in who Jesus says he is. These guys were so intensely dismissive of Jesus that they wanted to destroy him. So there's, that's one response to Jesus, is to dismiss him and, and even try to destroy him. Another response is 
A response like Judas, who was disappointed in Jesus. Judas wanted a king who would make his life work better. He would overthrow Rome. He would get his country back. And he would line his pockets with riches. He would, this would be a king who would help Judas live the good life that he wanted to live. But Jesus didn't do that, and so Judas was disappointed with him. He, he became so disappointed with Jesus that he ended up joining those who dismissed Jesus. You see that happen a lot today. People who become so disappointed with Jesus that they wind up dismissing him altogether. The third group is those who are at the party. They, they are there to delight in Jesus. Um, this party at Simon the leper's house. There was a house full of people whose lives had been touched and changed by Jesus. Simon, he's no longer a leper, leper. There's no way they would be at his house if he was still a leper. But he became known as Simon the leper because he was healed by Jesus. So he and his family are hosting this party. And, and then from John's account of this party, we, we know that Lazarus and his sisters, Mary and Martha, were there. Jesus had just recently raised Lazarus from the dead. So you know they wanted to celebrate Jesus. And then the disciples were there to join them in this celebration. These people delight in Jesus. So you can see what Mark's doing here. Sandwiched in between these people who are dismissive of Jesus and disappointed in him is this group of people who delight in him. It's sweet. It's a stark difference. But there's one more. There's one more. In fact, the contrast between this next one and those who delight in Jesus may be even more stark in some ways. It's Mary. And her pure, extravagant, lavish, loving devotion to Jesus. Here was the awkward moment. Mary, sister of Lazarus and Martha, broke open an alabaster bottle of very costly perfume. It's called pure nard. I think today, if you're looking for it, uh, it's called spike nard. Um, but it was made from flowers from India. So you can imagine the expense of importing this perfume to Israel. And uh, she had it in a beautiful alabaster jar, and they would break off the neck and then pour it out. It was worth, as we learn, um, 300 denarii, which is... Uh, a denarius was a day's wage for a laborer. So this is 10 months worth of salary for a, for a common laborer in that time. In our, in our day, this would be worth thousands of dollars. Some scholars believe that perhaps it was a family heirloom that she had inherited. The value of this, of this perfume, 
was inestimable. And she poured it out on Jesus' head. And then, as John tells us, she poured it out on his feet. And then further than that, she got down on her hands and knees and she took her long hair and she wiped Jesus' feet with this perfume. And the fragrance filled the house. What a strange and powerful act of lavish love and deep devotion this is. It's astonishing, really. It had to have been unsettling to watch. I wonder if Mary's brother and sister were a little embarrassed for her, looking at each other like... But the contrast between Mary's devotion to Jesus and the other people's delight in Jesus shows up in the way they respond to her. Mark says, as Jesus was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment, a pure nard, very costly. She broke the flask, poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves, including the disciples, indignantly, that's a strong word for anger. They were, they were angry at her for this. They said to themselves indignantly, why was the ointment wasted like that? That word wasted is she destroyed this. This ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. They raged at her. In fact, that word is a word that's used for the angry snort of a horse. This is how they responded to what Mary had done to and for Jesus. They were in a rage, and they, I can't imagine whether they did it right there or took her aside in the kitchen and just let her have it. What are you doing? What a waste. Oh. It's incredible. To these men who delighted in Jesus, her devotion to Jesus was a waste. So now here's the first reason I think the Holy Spirit had Mark put this story right here before Jesus is crucified and raised. Before those disciples are launched into the world with the good news of Jesus. God wanted them to have a vivid picture of what it means to be his disciple. In the days and years to come, their lives would be broken. They will pour out their hearts and lives with lavish love for Jesus, and the fragrance of Jesus will fill the earth through them. This is a picture of what they're about to do. This is a picture of what a true disciple of Jesus does. Jesus wants them to know that the world and the devil and sometimes their own hearts will say to them, what a waste, what a waste of your life to pour it out on Jesus. Come on. And friends, God wants you to know this morning that 
a life broken and poured out for Jesus is not a waste. It's not a waste. And you can see this in how Jesus responds to what Mary has done. In verse 6, Jesus said, Leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. I'll never forget in a church I served in Knoxville, large church, there would be 2,000 people in worship per service on a Sunday. Um, I was a middle school pastor, and we had a young lady in our youth group who was uh, autistic. And during the worship service, sometimes, she would slip into the aisle during the music, and she would dance, spin around, and she'd sing the songs and the hymns at the top of her lungs. She would dance. Sometimes I'd walk into the Family Life Center, and it had these high, echoing ceilings, and I'd walk in there early on a Sunday morning, and I would hear her singing hymns by herself down the hall because she loved the sound of the echo. Eleanor loved Jesus. And I remember one morning our pastor said to the congregation, don't you dare send me any more emails about the young woman who dances in the aisle because she loves Jesus. That's the heart of Jesus right here. Leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She's done a beautiful thing to me. Because what she has done is precious to Jesus. He prizes it. It's a beautiful thing. And that, that phrase, beautiful thing, is literally, it's a good work. A good work. So I want to say to you this morning, friends, the good works that you do for Jesus out of your deep devotion to Jesus are a beautiful thing to him. There are beautiful acts of love. And they're not wasted. You moms who grieve wayward children, the years that you spent lavishing the love of Jesus on them were not wasted. You who suffer and yet you still trust Jesus, though it doesn't always look like trust, you're still hanging on to him. Or at least saying, you're going to have to hang on to me, I can't hang on anymore. But you're still talking to him. That good work of trusting Jesus is not wasted. Students who are spending your hours trying to faithfully love Jesus with your mind, the hours you spend studying and working and going to school and college and doing all, it's not wasted if you're doing it out of lavish love for Jesus. Jesus goes on and he says, for you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. 
Now, Jesus is not dismissing the good work of giving to the poor. That is a good work. But he's saying that Mary has her priorities in order here. Just a few chapters ago, Jesus confirmed, in fact, this was just a day or two before this, Jesus confirmed that the first great commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second one is to love your neighbor. Mary has her priorities in order. Lavish love for Jesus will produce lavish love for your neighbor. Jesus said in John 14, 15, if you love me, you will obey my commands, which include loving the poor. So he's not against loving the poor. He's just saying that the good work of giving to the poor flows from the good work of lavish love for Jesus. So it's not a waste of time to spend your time and energy to fan the flames of your heart's passion and devotion for Jesus. It's not a waste of your time to fan the flames of your love for Jesus because you will not be able to sustain your love for your neighbor apart from fanning the flame of that loving relationship with Jesus. So she's got her priorities right. Jesus continues, she has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. Did she realize she was doing this? We don't know. There's no indication that she knows that. But what Jesus is saying is, even if she doesn't understand what she's doing, she's doing a beautiful thing, she's doing a good work, she's lavishing her love on me. And that little part of her story, that little act in her little story, is actually a is actually a big part of my larger story. What she's done has purpose. So friends, your beautiful acts of lavish love for Jesus are not a waste. Each one of them has a purpose in the story that Jesus is telling the world about himself. He goes on. Truly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Listen to Jesus talking beyond the weekend. He's talking beyond Resurrection Sunday right here. Wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. He's saying, this act of lavish love that you all think is a waste is actually the pattern that I want all of my disciples to follow. In order to be my disciple, you must show me that kind of devotion. Yeah, but Jesus, we delight in you. I mean, we threw you this party, didn't we? We delight in you. Perhaps he's saying, yeah, you, you, you think you delight in me, but then you recoil at someone who delights in me at a great cost to herself? You must be prepared to delight in me at the greatest cost, the cost of your very selves. Remember what I told you, if you try to save your life, you will lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake and the gospels, you will save it. That's what Mary is showing you here. The way to save your life is to waste it on me. 
I want to stop just for a minute and speak to my young adult friends in the room. And by young adult, I mean anyone who's under 30. (laughs) Because you're all adults in process. Um, I want you to especially hear me say this this morning. Living a life of passionate devotion to Jesus may look awkward to your friends and to your culture. And they may say, you're wasting your life on Jesus. But I want you to hear Jesus tell you this morning, it is not a waste of your life to spend it on him. So don't listen to the voices. Don't even listen to your own heart when it tells you that it's a waste for you to love Jesus with your entire life. It's not. It's not a waste. And we know the rest of the story. We know that these disciples did pour out their lives for Jesus. Their lives did look like Mary's alabaster jar. They were broken and spilled out for Jesus. Their beautiful words and works spread the fragrance of Christ to the ends of the earth. We know that happened. But what made them do it? What caused them to go from despising that kind of devotion in one moment and weeks and months later, they're doing it for the rest of their lives? It's because they saw and believed what Mark is about to say in the rest of 14, 15, and 16. They saw the suffering and crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus, and they believed in him. John, who was one of those who was in that room that night and who witnessed all of these things that Jesus did, he explains how it works, how it is that... um, People will waste their lives on Jesus. He explains it very simply in 1 John 4.19. He says, we love because he first loved us. The only reason I would waste my life on Jesus is that Jesus first wasted his life on me. And that's the other thing that Mark wants us to see. I I think it's the other reason that Mark put this picture of Mary right here. Because Mary's pouring out her costly perfume on Jesus as an act of lavish love for him is a picture of what Jesus is about to do for us, for them. Mark is about to show us that Jesus will be broken, and when he pours out his blood, he will pour out his lavish love on his people. It will look like a waste when Jesus is destroyed, but no, This is his beautiful act of loving God with all that he is and loving his sinful neighbors with all that he is. And how valuable was the pure perfume of the life of Jesus? Just how valuable was that? Gerhardus Voss said it this way. This is beautiful. I may have to read it twice so you can hear it. In the person of the Son of God, All the suffering and all the active obedience, although accomplished in his humanity, was nevertheless divine suffering and divine obedience that is of of infinite value. In the person of the Son of God, all the suffering and all the active obedience, though it was accomplished in his humanity, it was nevertheless 
God's suffering, God's obedience. And so that gives it infinite value. So in the life and crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus, God broke open his greatest treasure and poured him out as an act of lavish love. And how will we respond to his lavish love for us? To his overwhelming, never-ending, seemingly wasted love? That's the question. How are we going to respond to that? We waste our lives on him because he first wasted his life on us. Sometimes when I'm driving around in my truck and that song that I sang earlier that we're about to sing, Alabaster, comes up in my playlist. And as I sing it, I picture the day when I will get to actually fall at the actual feet of Jesus. And I will kiss them. I will worship that man. My God, my Lord and my God. As Thomas said, am I going to be like one of those shrieking, blubbering teenage girls who fainted at the sight of Elvis and the Beatles and Michael Jackson when I see Jesus? I sure hope so. It sounds so weird, doesn't it? Why would I do that? And why in the meantime, as I wait for that day to come, Why would I pour out my life for the sake of others and pour out good works of lavish love on the people in the places that God's put put me? Why would I do that? That's weird. It's because he loves me. It's because he gave himself for me. We love because he first loved us. We waste our lives on him because he first wasted his life on us. It's the only response that makes any sense at all. Father, would you convince us, convince us that your love for us is lavish. Would you overwhelm us with it? Would you forgive us for not believing it's as amazing as it really is. Would you help us by the power of your Spirit and through our fellowship with one another to experience just a taste of your lavish love for us in our fellowship with one another, in the way we love one another? And would you, by the power of your Spirit, make us a church that wastes its life on others because you wasted your love on us? We ask that you would do that in Christ's name. Amen.